This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County and Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb Sycamore, 89.3 in Morris Joliet. Moving into Rockford and uh, being hope, hopefully coming soon. Also, uh, that will cover Beloit as well. And so we're growing and expanding thanks to you. And we're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Remember always that we're brought to you by you. And if you would like to make a donation, you can go to our website, and that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com, and uh, you can make a donation there. And whatever you can donate is always appreciated, large or small. If you would like to make a phone call, our number is 309-802-2427. Again, that's 309-802-2427. Or is that 807? I think that's... Yeah, I think it's 807-2427. I'm sorry about that. I've got that written down here incorrectly. That should be a 7 and not a 2. So go to our phone. It's 309-807-2427. And again, uh, we're going to have a great show for you. I'm here with my wife, Lynn. Uh, If you would like to make a donation, go ahead and do that. Uh, It's still a mad, 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 mad world out there. And uh, we're going to talk about that, especially today. We are going to talk about integralism. And integralism is reestablishing a confessional Catholic state. And it's a state based on Catholic principles of morality underlying the law. It sounds shocking to a lot of people, and there's sort of a knee-jerk reaction to it, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we start into that, I'm going to turn over this to my wife, Lynn. Hi. I think we have a lot to be grateful for today. The storms came through last night, and the weather is beautiful. No more. 100 degree right now. It's beautiful out. Big puffy skies. Big puffy clouds in the skies. And the dark blue behind it. Beautiful. Humidity is way down. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. That is for sure. It was so nice on the way here to the station this morning and just coming out and stepping on the porch. There was a nice breeze out there and the air felt cool. It didn't feel oppressive. It didn't feel uh, there, there was a lot of humidity. So it's, it's really nice. Enjoy it while we can. And uh, is there anything further that you want to talk about, Lynn? No, I think you have plenty there. Yeah, I do. Tell and, me. Before I start, though, I did want to get in one thing. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Robert F. Kennedy for all of the people out there. And uh, if you want to see what a real Democrat looks like and hear what a real Democrat sounds like, uh, he may be one of the last of the uh, Democrats that I remember, the Democratic Party that uh, sort of left me as far as I'm concerned. And, of course, he is getting a lot of flack from both sides. 
there's the other day, Carl Rove was on TV and he was calling him a conspiracy theorist. And of course, the Democrats are also calling him a conspiracy theorist. And both sides are criticizing him for his, criticizing him for his stand on the war in Ukraine. He was pointing out that it did not have to be and that uh, there's a lot of responsibility on our part uh, in the past number of years, uh, fomenting, you know, the, bringing this to something that probably didn't have to happen. And it's a, just a tragic situation. So, but he's getting a lot of criticism on both sides from that. And uh, that is typical because I think the whole idea of democracy and the Democratic Party especially has moved on and it's been taken over a lot by liberalism. And uh, Kennedy probably is more along the lines of the old classical liberal rather than the modern liberal and liberalism that we have today. And we're going to talk about that. That's what we're going to talk about today before we can really get into uh, why uh, a Catholic confessional state should be established. It is an alternative to the type of liberalism that is going on in our country today and also around the Western world. And the whole foundation of that liberalism has to be attacked and destroyed and shown to be unworkable before we can really talk about uh, an alternative to it. And the only alternative that I can see on the horizon is integralism. And uh, there's an article that we'll do uh, next week that talks about the fact that uh, the, the only reason to discount integralism is that uh, it simply probably won't be adopted at this time, and we should perhaps hope that we can find some other solution to the liberalism problem. So that's uh, that will be for next week. So we'll get into uh, the idea of uh, uh, the destroying the foundation of liberalism in this talk here today. Uh, also, I wanted to point out before we start uh, that... I heard David Anders uh, in Call to Communion. He received a question from, from a caller from New Orleans about integralism. The person wanted to know what it was, and uh, Anders uh, gave him the definition, of, it, of course. And uh, obviously, on a show like that, David Anders could not give a comprehensive answer in explaining integralism. You wouldn't expect that. But his answer was the standard, what I would call almost sort of a knee-jerk position, and you get that answer both from the left and the right, and you get that answer pretty much from people who are religious or irreligious, and uh, his answer, I think, was uh, really not adequate. Uh, It uh, sort of dismissed integralism as being the project of people who are looking for a black and white solution to complex problems, and of course, I don't think that's the case at all. In fact, next week we're going to read an article article from Michael Hanby, and uh, he is a professor at the Catholic University of America uh, of Religion, and uh, uh, the uh, John Paul, I think, uh, professor, and he talks about uh, the question raised by integralism. He says the questions are deep, he says, they are comprehensive, and they are metaphysical, and they are the first order. And he takes a stand. Uh, he tries to show both sides of integralism, the good and the bad, if you want to call it bad, the, the workable and the unworkable, I guess. 
and thinks that uh, it probably won't be adopted or doesn't have a chance of being adopted at this time. And so uh, he sort of takes a stand that we'd be better off maybe not doing it. And that's the stand that the church takes. Uh, The current administration of the church takes a stand that uh, they're not interested in trying to revive the idea of integralism. Uh, but when David Andrews gave that answer, I don't know if, if it was intentional or not, but it sort of sounded as in saying that the church disapproved of it, it sounded as if somehow uh, it was against church doctrine. Of course, it couldn't be, and it's not, because uh, the church was an integralist state for a thousand years. And uh, there was uh, not that long ago uh, when you first had the Reformation and the uh, people falling away from the church and the, you know, the, the split in the church and so forth, the idea was to revive it and restore it. And then, of course, that didn't happen the way things are today. It may be prudential from the church's point of view to let the issue rest, but uh, what I'm going to do is show the fact that our liberalism that we have today is so destructive and so dangerous uh, but when people point that out, as I'm going to read an article by a Polish professor of philosophy, Rizzer Legutko, and uh, he talks about why he's not a liberal, and he shows the dangers and, and, and what liberalism has degenerated into. But when you attack liberalism along these lines, they ask you, well, uh, okay, but what do you propose instead? And so the fact is, is that a, an integralism is something that can be proposed instead. And uh, we've spent time showing that what we have now is certainly not freedom of religion. In fact, our Constitution defines what religion is, and it defines it away as simply a personal opinion among many. That religion, in effect, is a personal opinion, and people are entitled to believe in any personal opinion about religion that they want to. But that certainly doesn't give anyone the right to actually act on it if it goes against the laws of the state. Just for example, as Catholicism uh, doesn't believe in same-sex marriage and doesn't adopt babies out or you know young children out to people of uh, you know in same-sex marriages, and therefore Catholic adoption agencies are banned in states in which, and those are many, in which uh, it's the law that you have to be uh, adopt out children equally to same-sex couples as well as anybody else. And so the Catholic Catholic adoptions agencies are effectively banned in those states. That's hardly freedom of religion. So uh, the state, in other words, defines what religion is, and then it forbids religious activity that contradicts its own laws. So the, the fact is, is that uh, every state, in effect, to a certain extent, is a confessional state in the sense that it has to treat religion in one way or another. But we'll get back into that next week. Let's talk about uh, Professor Legutko's article. Let's read from it, Why I Am Not a Liberal. And uh, it appears in the March 2020 edition of First Things. And uh, he is from Poland. And he's talking about the fact also that there is less freedom in countries that were first uh, uh, put, first freed from the restrictions of the Soviet Union, were very, very free. But those very countries have become less free as time has gone on because they have come now under 
the uh, authority of Western liberalism, and uh, Western liberalism has actually taken away almost as much freedom as communism did in the first place. And so we'll get into that and we'll talk about that. He starts out, he says, I never called myself a liberal. For a long time, however, I considered liberalism a sound theory that whatever its weaknesses was committed to freedom of discussion, pluralism, and a general attitude of respect for the beliefs of one's fellow citizens, even when they are wrongheaded. But I don't call liberalism a sound theory anymore, nor do I think it stands for freedom and pluralism. Liberalism has come to have two faces. The first face is a specific political and philosophical doctrine. You can read John Locke, for example, or Benjamin Constant, or John Stuart Mill. Their visions of man in society entail a variety of presuppositions, and like any other theoretical conception, they may become objects of criticism. The second face is that of a super-theory, a comprehensive and obligatory way of thinking that is enforced in modern society as the best regulator of human diversity and the only sure guarantee of freedom. We, meaning liberals, and only we, can and should take over, the liberals say, because we will establish the best rules of cooperation and the most efficient system for the distribution of freedom. Anyone who says otherwise is a fascist or potential fascist. Karl Popper set up this all-or-nothing choice in the open society and its enemies. Isaiah Berlin implies the same in his widely read essay, Two Two Concepts of Liberty. These two faces, one proposing a set of political ideas, the other insisting that because of its unique inclusiveness and openness, only liberalism can be the basis for a just society. These two ideas have fused. Liberalism as a specific political doctrine, one of many, identifies itself with liberalism as a super theory and imposes itself on modern society as obligatory and above discussion. Attempts to to deprive liberalism of its imperial bent, that is, to return to the situation in which liberal ideas could be discussed alongside others as a basis for political judgments, as in John Rawls's turn to political liberalism, have failed. And it does not matter whether liberalism is social democratic or market-oriented or even anarcho-libertarian. In its contemporary versions, the liberal proposition has become the liberal ideology that describes any deviation as illiberal and a synonym for illicit. Here is how the slide from theory to ideology happens. Liberalism's ideal is a society in which there is room for every human desire and life plan, in which all occupations and aspirations are allowed, in which those practicing various religions and those practicing no religion coexist in which all groups, associations, parties, and clubs may peacefully pursue their goals provided they do not impose their views on others. It is a society in which there are Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, heterosexuals, homosexuals, innumerable genders, 
people of all nationalities or ethnic extractions, conservatives, liberals, socialists, anarchists, communists, pornographers, priests, hedonists, and moral ascetics, all respecting the common rules. In practice, we never achieve the ideal, the the liberals allow, but we should go as far in its direction as possible. The goal of public life is to achieve maximum freedom for people to be themselves. Existing societies are remote from this model. Therefore, liberalism and its ideal of maximal affirmation of diversity requires that those who have been disadvantaged receive more free space. All boundaries and limits must be removed. Meanwhile, those who have been privileged must have some space taken away from them so that they can no longer dominate. To achieve this expansion of freedom, a form of social engineering is required. Some groups, individuals, opinions, and practices must be promoted. Others demoted. It becomes necessary to champion women and blacks and to criticize white men and their patriarchal institutions to restrain Christianity from cultural dominance and to open public space for Muslim communities. Notice that this was written three years ago, and at that time, women were considered uh, oppressed and women were supposed to have special space and special protection. Notice how already, how already that has changed, and we'll go on with that and why. These projects require a certain degree of coercion, or at least energetic persuasion, which is usually directed against entrenched ways of life, allegedly anachronistic beliefs, traditional divisions, supposedly sacrosanct norms, and so forth. And we're going to have to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Help seniors remain independent. Faith in Action is a nonprofit providing transportation for people over 60 to medical appointments and grocery stores. Become a Faith in Action driver in the extended Bloomington Normal Area, 309-827-7780. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in Bloomington Normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We're talking about the fact that liberalism has become a deadly toxic force in our society. And we're reading an article from Professor Rizzer Legutko of uh, the Jagolian University in Krakow, Poland. And he is talking about why liberal has gone awry and uh, why it has become destructive, and why he is no longer a liberal. And I think this article pretty well shows the total destructive power of liberalism and how it has morphed from supposedly uh, a philosophy that enshrines freedom to a philosophy that enshrines totalitarianism. He goes on. He says, in this work, that is in creating diversity and creating space for everybody— 
what might be called cultural affirmative action, government as well as the institutions of civil society launch intensive educational programs, preferably starting as early as possible in kindergarten, for instance. A particular emphasis falls on the language used, pronouns, but there is also a concern that children should read only the proper books, see the correct films, and play suitable games. Everything inculcates the sentiments of openness that the liberal super theory insists will bring the advent of a new and freer society. There should be new standards of writing, so inclusive that no one will feel estranged. But sadly, there are those who refuse to go along. Laws must be crafted to ensure their compliance. Coercion, true, but for the sake of freedom. And if compliance cannot be compelled, those who will not adopt the new sentiments or openness must be exiled to the margins, where they will not hinder the progress of freedom. Admittedly, such a transformation may be painful, but its advocates say sacrifices must be made if we are to establish a just society. The history of mankind is a history of discrimination by white races against black, men against women, Europeans against non-Europeans, heterosexuals against homosexuals. The counterforces impeding progress are legion, sexism, racism, homophobia, and so many others. All of them must be monitored, and all of them must be eliminated. To this end, the Friends of Freedom should employ all the instruments at their disposal, from legal punishment to social ostracism, from education to browbeating. The enemies of the needed transformation do not deserve compassion. This description sounds like a caricature, but it is not. As an example, let us take the new concept of marriage. It is said to be an important sign of progress that marriage is no longer defined as a union of one man and one woman. Allowing anyone to marry anyone without regard to sex is far more inclusive. This revolutionary change has met with opposition from various groups who make many good arguments, biological, moral, historical, theological, but this is of no help. Opposition is met with force, not counter-argument. Governments, courts, and interest groups employ strong, even brutal means. The notion of marriage and family, based on the union of two sexes, until recently regarded as the strongest pillar of the social order, is now called traditional. The implication is that such ideas are on their way to oblivion. Marriage has changed, as one liberal scholar puts it, from procreational to relational. This change, we are told, has come about because traditional marriage has been an oppressive institution full of domestic violence, husbands raping wives and daughters, and women trampled by the patriarchy. Legal regulations connected with the new approach are strict. No one may fail to recognize two men or two women as married. The institutions that disagree are punished. Dissenters are ostracized. Orwellian spectacles are staged to bully potential objectors. Adoption agencies that resist are dismantled, and I mentioned that earlier. 
Priests and pastors loyal to their callings are threatened with lawsuits and sometimes taken to court. A propaganda machine supported by big corporations reprograms people's minds, starting with children in kindergarten and even earlier. And this is getting worse and worse and actually even more blatant as anyone can see. Institutions and moral systems that question the change are vilified. Twitter mobs hunt for heretics. The few individuals who dare to say no often lose their jobs and become objects of verbal, even physical, abuse. These and similar processes have a debilitating effect on people's minds because they destroy language and they reverse the meaning of basic concepts. Liberalism, from the very beginning, presented itself as the champion of liberty, pluralism, tolerance, and diversity, and the enemy of discrimination, intolerance, and exclusion. This etymological trick, (coughs) the root libertas is Latin for freedom, works perfectly. Encyclopedias, handbooks, and political and historical treatises take it for granted that liberalism and freedom go hand in hand. Even our everyday language reflects this assumption. When someone says that a person takes a liberal approach or that a law has been liberalized, he is taken to indicate an expansion of freedom, despite the fact that the liberal West is increasingly homogeneous, characterized by groupthink of mass culture, and dominated by a technocratic elite. But really... But reality, rather, does not matter. All actions described in liberal jargon are automatically understood as promoting freedom and overcoming discrimination. No matter how brutal the actions are, no matter how much they violate consciences, hinder free inquiry and free debate, and humiliate people, they are proclaimed to serve the cause of freedom. Some have had doubts about the liberal super theory. They explain them away by convincing themselves that bad things happen, not because of liberalism, but in spite of it. They blame progressivism, postmodernism, and some otherism. How can liberalism hinder hinder liberty? By definition, it is impossible. And I have always said that all of the facets of liberalism, in other words, we have liberalism, and the various thing, other things that are blamed, fascism, communism, socialism, uh, libertarianism, and so forth, these are all facets of liberalism. They're all just, just different ways of liberalism. I, I know people in the Libertarian Party used to say that they were as far away from liberalism as you can get. But actually, when you're getting further and further away from something, you're going around in a big circle and backing right up next to it. And they weren't nearly as far away from liberalism as they ever thought because their particular idea of a society is just another facet of liberalism. And in fact, this is why liberalism liberals stand with their hands on their hips and say, okay, then if you are going to propose something other than liberalism, what is it that you're going to propose? And the fact is, is that uh, we are going to propose integralism, something that worked for a thousand years and something we believe can work again. And there are some good arguments uh, disagreeing with integralism, and I will give those next week. 
But the fact is, is those arguments are deep arguments, and those arguments take in and consider the people who talk about and advocate integralism as being complex philosophers who understand what they are doing and are talking about something that is far more than easily dismissed as simply a black and white simple solution. It is telling that establishment liberals who protest that our harsh regime of political correctness has nothing to do with liberalism never take measures to reverse recent trends. They rarely criticize these trends in public, afraid to end up on the wrong side of history. In truth, the so-called liberals invariably join the chorus that condemns as bigots, reactionaries, and fascists, especially fascists, that's what you hear all the time, those who resist so-called inclusion. This way of talking is not confined to university radicals. It is the idiom in which the most staid and conventional liberals now talk about their political opponents. And we have this now being taken all the way from universities down to high schools, down to grade schools, and uh, it has found its way into the common language. Anyone who somehow or another uh, opposes anything is considered a fascist or at, at, at best uh, someone who is against freedom and diversity. We have become so accustomed to this rhetoric that we fail to notice how it warps the meaning of the words we use. Previously, appeals to pluralism, diversity, tolerance, and openness were employed to soften the relations among people and temper the strictness of our political and moral order. There were, of course, exceptions to this, such as Voltaire's Treatise on Toleration, which is more an anti-Catholic diatribe than a plea to live and let live. And we'll talk about some of the 18th century Enlightenment, in, in which I would call endarkenment ideas, that uh, actually paved the way for the liberalism that is destroying Western civilization. Uh, these notions provide shelter for those who were dominated by others. Today, <clears throat> the same words are instruments of liberal social engineering and ideological sticks with which to beat up on opponents. Their meanings have been inverted. And that's what we get with the liberalism. Uh, constantly, what they advocate is actually, in reality, the opposite uh, of what the, the results are. <clears throat> Pluralism means monopoly anymore. Diversity means conformity anymore. Tolerance means censorship anymore. And openness means ideological rigidity. In practically all institutions, private and public, in schools and corporations, there are offices of diversity. And all these offices are gruesome ideological agencies spreading fear and imposing conformity, not unlike, not unlike their inglorious predecessors in the communist regimes. Those who preach pluralism insist upon a monoculture in which everyone must be a pluralist. The open society means that what came before must be jettisoned, and those who hang on must be condemned as moral criminals. And I've talked about this quite a bit, the idea that uh, 
liberals seem to inherently understand that in order for their utopia to be put in place, the foundations of Western civilization must first be destroyed. In other words, all the institutions, many of them built by the Catholic Church, that provide for a whole shelter and dome of freedom have to be taken away. In this corrupted language, pluralism signifies not a variety of opinions, but the dominance of liberalism. Thus, the ultimate implementation, implementation of pluralism will be the absolute triumph of liberalism, and the absolute triumph of liberalism will be the ultimate impl- implementation of pluralism. It will be a society in which everyone will be a liberal and thus, by definition, a pluralist. Absolute pluralism will be the absolute monopoly of one ideology. The world will be safe for pluralism only when a unanimous affirmation of pluralism prevails and all other opinions about it are silenced. In other words, pluralism will come to exist only when the whole concept and idea of pluralism is totally wiped out. And this is the whole uh, concept of liberalism. It is a negative. It is like looking in the mirror of a functional society such as Christianity was and having a mirror image of it in which it seems to be the same, but everything that was free about the old society is taken away. And all of the names that were honored in the old society are names that mean exactly the opposite now. And that's what is going on with liberalism. Everything that it preaches and affirms is the opposite of what it really is. Freedom is is actually slavery, and uh, pluralism is actually a uniformity uh, that is stifling. This absurd conclusion is not a quip or a quibble. It is, unfortunately, becoming a fact. There are European countries in which the media are mono-ideological. But as long as the ruling ideology is liberalism, the absence of non-liberal platforms does not concern the European Union, the Council of Europe, the European and National Courts, or influential NGOs, that non-governmental organizations. And it's the same here in the United States. And it's actually perhaps getting worse in the United States than it is there. On the contrary... The narrowing of ideological opinions, on the contrary, the narrowing of ideological options, the monism of pluralism, is generally regarded as a natural and positive state of affairs. The end of history consolidation of all opinions into liberalism is to be emulated by those who are lagging behind. Societies in which non-liberal opinions find strong expression and even dare to influence public affairs, are denounced as illiberal, and therefore, of course, illicit. In my country, that is Poland, we are fortunate to have more freedom of speech and more freedom of the press than many other EU members, and the mechanisms of parliamentary democracy function well. But I will mention here, that the fact is in the three years since this article was written, I think that there probably is less freedom in Poland than there was before, even if in Poland there seems to probably be more freedom than there is here in America. 
But this is precisely what the European institutions find disconcerting. Unless we are uniformly dominated at every level by liberalism, Poland is deemed at risk of blacksliding into tyranny. And that is, of course, in the eyes of liberals, becoming fascist. Everything that opposes liberalism is somehow fascist. It is generally considered anomalous that in some places the liberal monopoly has not yet been achieved, or what is worse, that somewhere it might be jeopardized. And here we get into it, and this is why liberalism looks so much like Marxism and communism, even though it is not. In many ways, it's worse than Marxism and communism. And here it is right here. Uh, I'm going to have to stop here. We'll come back and we'll talk about it, that liberalism has its own Brezhnev doctrine. It has its own doctrine that liberalism threatened anywhere is threatened everywhere and that something has to be done about it. And we'll come back and talk about that. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. July is the month for Catholic Spirit Radio's Matching Monday. I'm this year's Matching Monday donor, Patricia, and I'm going to double up to $6,000 every donation made on the Mondays in July. I challenge you to donate big, so I have to write that matching big check. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or mail your check on any Monday in July to 108 Boykin's Place in Normal. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in Bloomington Normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. Help seniors remain independent. Faith in Action is a nonprofit providing transportation for people over 60 to medical appointments and grocery stores. Become a Faith in Action driver in the extended Bloomington Normal area, 309-827-7780. Hi, this is Bob Johnston. We're back from our break. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're talking generally about integralism, and specifically here we're talking about the fact uh, that liberalism has become a destructive force. I'm reading from an article by Professor Rizard Legutkow, who is a professor in Poland at Jagolian University, and he is talking about how and why liberalism has gone wrong. And uh, it, inherently, the flaw in liberalism is that uh, everyone has to be made, in effect, sort of safe for liberalism. And uh, if everyone and everything won't fall in line with the uh, philosophy and tenets of liberalism, then somehow they must be coerced into it or else marginalized totally out of society. And that uh, coercion is getting worse and worse and that marginalization also getting worse and worse. And uh, liberalism is becoming, in a way, much like the communism that it was supposedly to have replaced. Because here we're getting to the same theory that the communists held. It's called the Brezhnev Doctrine. And that doctrine is this. Any threat to liberal dominance anywhere is a threat to liberalism everywhere. The Brezhnev Doctrine said that same thing about communism. Any threat to communism anywhere is a threat, you know, anywhere 
is a threat to communism everywhere. So liberals take the same doctrine. Any threat to liberal dominance anywhere is a threat to liberalism everywhere, justifying immediate and forceful intervention by any means necessary. And take a look what we have been doing under liberalism. It seems to me from the time that I was a young uh, man out of high school, about 18 years old, we were involved everywhere in the world in war. And the Vietnam War went on for, what, about 15 years? And then we switched from Vietnam. We didn't uh, accomplish anything there. And then we we were told how important it was that all of Southeast Asia, it was like a domino theory. They would all fall and go communist unless we were there. But, of course, we pulled out, and uh, it didn't happen that way. And then we had to get into the Middle East and other countries, and we have been war ever since. We finally got out of the Middle East without accomplishing really anything there, as far as I can see, except killing 250,000 civilian people and uh, making things there worse, for especially for the Christians that live there. And now we are engaged over in Ukraine on the borders of Russia, fighting, in effect, a proxy war with Russia and being told that it is absolutely necessary and so forth that uh, to uh, defend Ukraine, uh, we disenfranchised a government that was in place in Ukraine that was more favorable to Russia and placed the government in there that is basically a dictatorial government and uh, baited uh, in a lot of ways Putin into doing something that he never probably should have done and have gotten into a situation which we say now can only be uh, ended by a total victory on our part. And uh, I was mentioning earlier uh, Robert F. Kennedy doesn't go along with this. He's more of an old-time Democrat, and he's getting flack from both sides over it. It goes on here. It says, fire is directed at countries such as Poland, where the unanimity of the media has eroded and a genuine pluralism opinion exists along a wide spectrum from left to right. And so Poland is, is, is coming actually under attack, or it was at that time. Now, of course, we've pushed uh, NATO. Uh, not only is Poland under NATO, and NATO it actually advocates all of the uh, tenets of liberalism and brings it into the countries where it's placed. And then NATO was being pushed into Ukraine and pushed uh, from the uh, uh, further east from the west. And this is what actually... Uh, caused Putin to be alarmed and uh, morphed what that was going on there into a, uh, an actual open war. Uh, for the ruling liberal orthodoxy, this is bad pluralism and needs to be abolished. In other words, the pluralism in, in Poland is real pluralism, and that's not to be allowed because that might allow someone who is not diverse enough or not inclusive enough to have a say-so. Lost territory, must, lost territory must be conquered. In other words, the Brezhnev, the communist Brezhnev decision is being adopted by liberalism. The monopoly of the liberal super theory sustains itself by identifying ever new enemies to freedom. The monopoly cannot survive without mobilizing the functionaries to fight what Orwell called thought crimes. Today's thought crimes are many. 
sexism, racism, Islamophobia, binarism, misogyny, homophobia, Eurocentrism, and ageism, just to name a few. I find myself impressed by the number. It is larger than the number of thought crimes that existed in the communist system, which was, one might have thought, unsurpassable in its determination to find the enemies and destroy them. And that's what liberalism does. It seems like it goes out through the world constantly seeking enemies and constantly setting out to destroy them. Always just over the horizon is that new utopia once all the enemies have been destroyed uh, that uh, the liberalism will then give us the utopia that it promises that, that is in store for us if only it can totally prevail. <laughs> but liberalism has surpassed even communism, in finding all of these enemies uh, to fight. Today's dense system of taboos has created an unpleasant environment for the thinking person in a world of mandatory pluralism and compulsory, compulsory inclusion. The mind cannot roam, engaging ideas freely out of sheer curiosity. Jordan Peterson gets reprimanded for entertaining the thought that men and women are different. The prudent strategy in this environment is to avoid ideological booby traps. All of them are deadly. This means not saying out loud what you are thinking, a policy of self-policing familiar to anyone who has lived under a totalitarian regime. Why is there so little resistance to the mendacity that surrounds us? For one thing, liberalism's dominance has diminished our moral image, our, our moral imaginations. In the main, liberalism teaches us that freedom requires being unhindered in the project of becoming whoever and whatever we want to be. Let me get over here to the next page. This view has a corollary, the minimalist conception of the human self. If we wish to promote a truly liberal society, we should refrain from ascribing too much to human nature. We must forswear appeals to natural law, for such concepts put limits on what and who we can become. More broadly, historical, communal, or metaphysical dimensions need to be downplayed or repudiated. It is for the rights-bearing individual to decide what truth, if any, he will take as his own. And we have that today. This, my truth is not your truth, and your truth is not my truth. And my way of living is not your way of living. In other words, I can do and be whatever I want to be. The other day on television, we saw a man dressed up in a dog costume, a costume that looked like Latchie, walking around and being petted and so forth and treated like a dog. What's next? And we have now men who can become women and women who can become men, this so-called, you know, trans transition from one thing to another, of course, which is ridiculous. The human <laughs> biology tells us that this isn't possible. But this is a, what if a person wants to believe, he is entitled not only to believe himself, but everyone else is around him is forced to go along with it and believe. And if they don't, they're called bigots. Uh, it is for the rights-bearing individual to decide what truth, if any, he will take as his own. In this way, the liberal idea of freedom, if put in practice by a society in a thoroughgoing way, 
as the liberal super theory requires, erodes a substantive basis for moral and political analysis. The perfectly liberal society is a thoughtless society. In the first book of The Politics, Aristotle distinguishes between the master and the slave. The slave, says Aristotle, is one who obeys others because he is incapable either to set for himself any ambitious aims or to select the right means to accomplish his aims. The slave is obedient not so much because he is forced to obey, but because his weak moral constitution requires him to depend on others. The free man, by contrast, is not necessarily someone who takes rules other and not necessarily someone who rules others, but someone who rules himself. He has acquired the skills and aptitudes necessary for self-command, such as courage, justice, resolution, fortitude, magnanimity, and self-control. Aristotle's distinction is moral and anthropological in nature and has little to do with the endorsement of the institution of slavery as it existed in his time. The fact that a man owned slaves did not make him a free man in the Aristotelian sense. The fact that a man was a slave did not mean that he could not be a free man in the moral sense. St. Paul assumes a version of the classical view of freedom when he urges Christians who are slaves to obey their earthly masters, not fearing them, but rather obeying them in love of the Lord. Whatever your tasks, work hardly as serving the Lord and not men. The Christian ideal of faithful obedience to Christ differs from Aristotle's notion on the notion of the Virgis Athenian. Nevertheless, both Aristotle and Paul see that freedom requires becoming a person capable of self-command rather than commanded by his instincts, his desires, his fears, his impulses, and his whims. The rights-bearing individual is not a free man in the classic sense. He is the opposite, for his freedom must be indeterminate, the freedom to become anything he wants to be. The problem is that there is not much in him, and therefore the promise of the infinite possibilities that lie before him is vacuous. Yes, it is. In fact, in, in this one person on TV, it was filled by him dressing up in a dog costume and pretending that he was a dog and demanding that other people treat him as if he really was. Despite occasional association with remnants of the old views, the concepts of the rights-bearing individual no longer denotes anything concrete. The whole point of the classical view is that freedom means not the absence of obstacles, but the possession of the attributes necessary either to overcome obstacles, Aristotle's emphasis, or make them irrelevant to one's self-conception as a fulfilled person, the Stoic and to some degree the Christian point of view. In short, the free man must have character. For this, he must have a larger view of himself and the world around him, a view that provides moral criteria for an objectively good way of living. Such a view may come from an articulated philosophy or more often from the religious and cultural traditions that inform his education. But we no longer have those liberal, or rather those religious and cultural traditions in our society, and this is what integralism is trying to restore. This means that the truly free man derives inspiration from outside the political system. 
he cannot be wholly determined by and immersed in the dogmas and presuppositions of the reigning political ideology, whether monarchic, socialist, liberal, or democratic. Liberalism and its development into a super theory make it difficult for human beings to attain such a perspective. Two factors are at work. On the one hand, liberalism addresses people as individuals. It tells each person that he has rights and that insofar as liberalism reigns supreme, he will be free to become whoever and whatever he wants. Notice, he will also be a ward of the liberal state. He can only exercise his freedom as long as the liberals are there to protect him and to coerce other people into going along with him. On the other hand, liberalism is a political construction that promises to secure individual rights only on condition that people adhere to its increasingly intrusive regulations and, more importantly, embrace the entirety of its ideology concerning right and wrong, what to love, and whom to hate. The combination of these two elements, plus the general thoughtlessness of liberal society, creates a mental trap. The more one sees one's independence in liberal terms, terms, the more one succumbs to ideological conformity. In other words, the more freedom that you have, in a sense, under liberalism, the more of a conformist you are. The more that you try to think for yourself and live your own life in your own way, the more obstacles are put in your place. The more one thinks of oneself as a master bearing innumerable rights, the more one resembles the Aristotelian slave. And exactly, this is what a lot of these people resemble, especially the man in the dog suit. The problem with liberalism as a super theory is therefore not just its inconsistency, but its inhumanity. Denied permission to entertain alternative views of what it means to be a free man, the sin of illiberalism must be avoided. The denizens of a liberal society has a slim chance of ever becoming one, that is, becoming a free man. He is internally too weak, too dependent on external factors, too confused about his identity, and too attracted to a mystified view of himself as an already completed person awaiting only self-expression, recognition, and inclusion. In other words, he doesn't have to do anything except dress up in a dog suit, and therefore everyone should recognize him, everyone should include him, everyone should understand how unique he is and so forth without his doing nothing except demanding that they do this. He is an exemplary consumer and easily absorbs mass opinion. In that sense, those formed by the liberal monoculture are docile citizens perhaps unhappy with their allotment of utility and rankled by whatever remains that crimps their freedoms, but satisfied with the liberal regime, trusting in whatever it promises. And the liberals have one more argument in defense of their anthropology. They concede that people with thick selves, that is, people who are self-contained, uh, nationalists, moral absolutists, religious believers, and so forth, are intransigent in their convictions and therefore inclined to impose their beliefs on others. This intransigence, whether moral, political, or metaphysical, has been, the liberals believe, the root of all evil, from slavery to concentration camps. Abolishing the sixth self, therefore, is a prerequisite 
for eliminating intransigence and bringing about the reign of openness and toleration. In other words, turning in people into a bunch of weaklings and sissies and a bunch of uh, go-alongs is what liberalism has to do in order to create the utopia that it promises around the corner. We're going to have to stop here, but I think you can see that what the problem with liberalism is, and if it keeps on going along its path, it will get more and more destructive, and the more and more it creates a society opposite of what it promises, the more power it will demand, and the more it will keep on going in that direction. And so, uh, in order to advocate something other than liberalism, the integralists are advocating integralism, and whether you go along with it or not, there certainly has to be some alternative to liberalism because it seems that it is going to destroy the entire Western civilization that integralism once built. So we're going to have to say our prayer. St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the heavenly hosts, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan, and all the other spirits who wander through the world for the root of souls. Amen. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio.